Chief Miller is dedicated to featuring the men and women of the fire service from around the world. Chief Miller has a family of content creators who feature great people doing great things, making the fire service a better place. Make sure to follow along as Chief Miller creates, shares, collaborates, and features the special people who call themselves firefighters. Follow along on Instagram at Chief underscore Miller. Find him on Twitter at Chief underscore Miller underscore. Like him on Facebook at Chief underscore Miller number one. And watch for all the podcasts featured within the Chief Miller media family. Make sure to check out ChiefMillerApparel.com for all your fire service apparel needs. BSWUSA.com has come through for me yet again, gang. Hey, it's Jason, and today I'm introducing you to the newest addition to the Canman Radio Show, this awesome-sounding Shure SM7B microphone. Now, this mic is a game-changer. It's been around for decades. It's been used in all facets of sound, from radio to music production to voiceover work, and by some of the best podcasting platforms across the world. Now, if you're like me and you're looking to maybe upgrade your equipment or maybe you're getting into podcasting for the first time, there's no reason why you shouldn't go check out BSWUSA.com today. My friend Jamie Singer and his sound aficionados will work with you and get you into the most affordable price point for some of the best equipment that provides you some of the purest sound out there. So go check out my friends at bswusa.com today. The K-Man Radio Show is proudly sponsored by some great firefighter-owned businesses. And we're going to shamelessly plug them here for a second, starting with axecaps.com. If you're looking to get into some great firefighter-made apparel, what about custom apparel from hats to shirts? What about the Can-Man apparel line? Go check out axecaps.com today. And Ian Sargent from sgtfirebags.com. If you're looking to get into a clean radio strap, what about a gear bag that protects you from the carcinogens that we're exposed to on a daily basis? Well, go check out SGT Firebags today and use CanMan for 10% off. And my brother, Herb Tyler from National Rescue Consultants. That's NRC.com. If you're looking to upgrade your education in the USAR world, go check out my brother, Herb Tyler at National Rescue Consultants. That's NRC.com. Get off your ass, canners, and get ready for some extreme tabletop exercises. It's time for the Can Man Radio Show. And now your fearless leader, the senior canner himself, Jason Liska. Here we are at the Florida State Fire College. My God, it's been months since I've been here, COVID aside. And it feels good to be back in the classroom this week. And I'm with an instructor who has led an incredible career, a life, rebirthing programs such as Smoke Diver, the Genesis program that has come back to the Florida State uh, Fire College itself, a district chief, a leader, 
and someone I admire, actually, someone I've enjoyed talking to for the past, oh, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes before we started this interview. And if you guys have uh, been listening, you know, we talked to a few people over the past few weeks, and one of them was my friend Chris from Missouri, who went through Smoke Diver 1 in Oklahoma. And then we spoke to the two men, Chad and Brian, who actually helped put together Smoke Diver 1 in Oklahoma, now leading into Smoke Diver 2. Well, today... I have to pay honor and homage to my state of Florida, and that's why I have District Chief Don Campbell here with us today in the studio. So, Chief Don, welcome to the show. Appreciate it, man. Good to be here. It's good to have you here. And, you know, I know we've been talking about this, planning this opportunity now for quite some time because, well, in realism, uh, with all things going on and everything aside, it's been very hard to try to get together and do anything at all outside of the home through Zoom. This is actually our first studio interview yeah. since COVID. Yep. So we're actually sitting side by side from each other, which I never been, I never anticipated us being <laughs> able to do. So it's kind of exciting to have you here today. And, I guess you're teaching standards today, or are you just out and about doing your thing? Yeah, we got a, a standards class that started yesterday, EMT class, and uh, VMR ops going on today. So we're out getting it done. Nonstop. Yep. The fire college is always doing something here. I think we should make other states jealous, letting them know that we've got at least two standards programs going on at one time, do we not? Because yep. we got the EMT and the fire combined in these programs, so we're always doing something here in Florida. Yeah, try to keep them busy. Now you got to keep them busy. And this is a place of, I guess... When I look at it, being an instructor here, it's a great honor to be able to teach here because some of the greatest instructors, some of the greatest firefighters have come out of this program, this fire college program. Some of my best friends have come out of the program from the 90s to the early 2000s, and then it's changed over the years, though. Yeah, it, it's changed, and you know, being here is kind of surreal. When, when I went through standards, one of the goals that I had when I left was I want to be an instructor one day. Like, how cool are these guys? Yeah. And uh, you know, they were almost superhuman. And then having that opportunity some years later was, uh, you know, it's kind of kind of weird to be here. It's bizarre, isn't yeah, it? It is. It's like when you're actually sitting here being the instructor, it brings you back to that point when you were that student. You're looking at yourself in some cases in those students when they're going through the evolutions you went through. Yep. Well, you went through in 98. So, you know. That's a long time ago. Going back a couple years. I'm just saying, you're going back maybe a decade or two, yeah. just saying. And you and I were both born in 77, but we discovered that he's actually older than me by, uh, what, three months? About three months. Three months. Yeah, the old yeah. man. Well, three months and 22 days. How about that? You're older than me. But you didn't actually get to go where you wanted to go right off the get-go out of standards here. No, no, I didn't. Um, my dad is retired from Gainesville, so yeah. I just assumed that when I showed up, they would you know, have an open door for me that, that didn't work out. So the first time I applied, I, I didn't get hired, but you know, as things go and, you know, as God led me, he put me where he needed me. And, uh, that wasn't the opportunity, but that led me to realize that I needed to continue my education. I finished my degree. I went to paramedic school. So did some other things that got me prepared when that opportunity came a few years later. I love that. And you went to Levy County. Yeah. I grew up in, in Cedar Key in Levy County. So I worked uh, Levy County EMS um, part-time and then full-time did some part-time work at Chiefland fire department kind of yeah. where I got my start. And yep. when Gainesville called, you know, I was ready, ready the next time. You didn't hesitate when they called and said, come on down. No, didn't hesitate. And I'm going to tell you go. something you followed in your dad's footsteps, which being a legacy, there's sometimes nothing better than having that honor sure. and, and being able to, 
not just fill the shoes that your father uh, left behind in a sense, but also expand on that as the professional you are now. Okay. And, you know, there's a history here where we talk about the genesis of Smoke Diver, and I call it the genesis, the new class, the new version. Sure. And I don't want to know, I don't want to necessarily say it's a new version, but let's just say the creation of Smoke Diver 2.0 for Florida. But the very man that actually helped create Smoke Diver 1 was one of your dad's friends and also a mentor of yours in a way too, was he not? Yeah, so Chief James, I taught my dad when my dad went to fire college in 1973. Mm -hmm. um, he was a battalion chief in Gainesville, but taught down here and ran the program. Uh, and then when I showed up in 98, he was the first person I met. And, you know, growing up around the fire service and around Gainesville, everybody knew who Chief James was. He oh, was yeah. a, a living legacy. So to be here and the, the first thing he said to me, I, I can't repeat all of it, but basically he told me I was an ugly human. And to <laughs> <laughs> get inside right now. And uh, so yeah, that's what I did. But uh, he, you know, it was an honor to have him around. And, you know, even at the end of his career, he was larger than life. Yeah. And you know what? It's it's amazing that the program that started here, right, it led to the creation of other programs across this country, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, Georgia came to Florida to learn, did they not? I think they did. And, you know, the original program, you know, started in the early 70s mm -hmm. as just a way to become familiar with your air pack and, oh, then, yeah. and then grew in, in other states. And, you know, Georgia has a, uh, although I haven't been been to it, an amazing program from the, the people that I know have gone through it. And yep. so, yep. you know, from that that class that started in Florida, like, uh, you know, throughout, throughout the country now, there's some wonderful programs that have grown from that. Yeah, I've heard phenomenal things about Chief Rhodes out of Georgia and the program that he runs and the cadre that runs with him and the impact they've had on other programs across this country. I didn't realize Mississippi had a program. Mm -hmm. And they're different in a way. They're not necessarily a smoke diver program, but the similarities are there, sure. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, sometimes people get caught up in the um, competitive nature, which is a good thing because mm -hmm. we want to strive to have programs that are similar to the others. But, you know, that it's really more about not which one is better or harder or worse, but what are we getting out of it and mm -hmm. what are we bringing back, you know, when we take it. And I think those all of those programs are doing that in their own way, you know, whatever their focus is. They're giving those folks that go through it, you know, that leg up or making them better or more confident. And so I think all of those programs are successful, you know, in, in meeting their goal. And we'll get there. We're going to talk about Florida more. We're going to talk about the genesis, the new class that started. And what when did it start yet again real quick? So the the, the new class, as we call it, the mm -hmm. first class was in January of 2013. Okay. Okay, so it wasn't that long ago. We're talking no. seven years ago. Yeah. But let's talk about you for a second. You know, we talked about your your role and your growth in the Gainesville Fire Department. I mean, like me, you went to the EMS route because that was the door that opened for you, and you went where God where God puts you. Not unlike, I feel in a sense, I was given the opportunity to spend eight years in Putnam County, which I will never regret, resent, or dismiss because those eight years in Putnam County taught me a lot about being a paramedic, about being an EMT, about being a good person and being able to work under stress because like Levy County, you know, you probably had predominantly volunteer fire departments around you and it was one ride, one ranger for a long time. You know, if you're driving to Gainesville from Cedar Key with a cardiac arrest, by yourself, yeah. there's a lot you learn about yourself in that 45 minutes to an hour, you uh, know? I think, um, you know, having that opportunity in rural EMS um, is is something that I think helped me grow early um, as someone who could make decisions. And, you know, later mm -hmm. on as a leader is, you know, when they toss you to drug keys, you're it. And, no doubt. You know, a lot of times in, in 
um, EMS only, especially in rural areas, you know, you're having people come and go. So a mm-hmm. lot of times you're having a lot of turnover um, in personnel and you may be with a brand new EMT, which, you know, happened a few times to me, especially early. Yep. But I think it, you know, it builds your skills and it builds confidence in yourself to be able to make those decisions. So I think it was an, an outstanding opportunity to have the utmost respect for, you know, those folks still working out in those rural areas where they're, you know, they're getting it done and there's not a, an engine or a ladder truck showing up to help them. It's just a paramedic EMT and, yep. you know, maybe a couple of volunteers that are coming out to help. So, you know, hats off to them. And I think it really helped me grow. And it blows my mind that there are still firefighters out there that look at the box as the plague. Now, don't get me wrong. I, eight years in the box was enough time and I'll work it for overtime if I get the opportunity. But if you've never experienced it, if you've, if you become a paramedic on a fire truck, you've never worked on a box. You have to work on a box at least one time to truly appreciate being a paramedic, in my opinion, especially in a rural environment like we worked in because you said it, I said it, you learn more about yourself, your leadership abilities, decision making, the confidence that evolves from being on your own and having to make those big boy decisions to do things you would normally do with two or three people helping you at one time and you're doing it all on your own. That's a life lesson right there. And that's something I feel like if given the opportunity, you should be at least on a box for three to six months for a period of your career just to get that experience. You don't have to stay on it, but just learn the other side of medicine, in my opinion. Yeah, it's 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 definitely a completely different um, philosophy and way to do things. And, you know, when I went to Gainesville and, you know, the first few calls I went on, I was like, where are all these people coming from? Yeah. And the ambulance is here quick. And, um, you know, so it, it definitely helps you grow and it does give you a different perspective. And I think the other thing with me is it, it taught me that that wasn't what I wanted to do you know, long term, there were some other avenues that I wanted to pursue, but it was good to, to be able to do that, to to get that set straight for me. Definitely. And I can agree and identify with that culture shock 110 percent. It's like, wow, helps coming out of the woodworks. And it's like, I don't have to wait 30 minutes. Right. I could just go. Oh, man, we're good. <laughs> but so let's talk about going into Gainesville. All right. You, you went in in what, 2001? Yep. OK, so you've been there 19 years now and you're at the role of district chief. And we talked about your rise to leadership and the fact that it wasn't necessarily the route you wanted per se, because you fell in love with the concept of firefighting. You fell in love with the concept of being the guy that's able to get into the buildings and do the job and serve the citizens and do what you were trained to do. And what you didn't realize, it sounds, is that leadership comes with that. And by becoming a leader, in a sense, you were able to do more or have a greater impact when that time came to rise to lieutenant. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, when I started out, I didn't start out with the goal to be the fire chief or a district chief or a lieutenant. And, you know, some of the people even that I got hired with when they asked us, you know, what do you want to do here? They're like, I want to be the fire chief. And, you know, they asked me and I was like, I, I just want to go to a fire. You know, so <laughs> I didn't really have, uh, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't I love have those it. aspirations, um, necessarily. I just, I just wanted to practice the craft. You know, yeah. I really enjoyed yeah. the challenge of it, the physicality of it. Um, you know, the, the complexness sometimes of some of the calls you go to. And so that was really what, you know, my first goal was. And then, you know, as you get a couple of years into it, you know, you realize that, you know, maybe um, not necessarily that I, I needed to be a leader, but that I, I wanted to be the one that made the decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like we mentioned earlier, it's kind of like being an athlete and, you know, you want to take the last shot at the end of a basketball game. Yep. Or you want them to hit you the ball at the end of a baseball game. Yep. You know, I wanted that responsibility, not necessarily because I thought I had all the answers, but, um, I thought that, that I would, I would be able to make those decisions and would be willing to make those decisions. And so 
that kind of led me to start working towards that goal. In, in Gainesville, you, you have to, um, you know, be a driver first before you can take lieutenant. Sure. The lieutenant's test. So, you know, I worked on that. I got promoted to driver and then shortly after was just lucky enough, um, as the promotion cycles fall to be able to take the lieutenant's test and, um, had a, had a good day and got lucky and ended up getting promoted and, uh, you know, spent, um, nine years as a lieutenant before I made district chief and enjoyed, you know, every second of it. So. so at what point in your career, what year were you in already when you promoted to lieutenant? Um, I was at almost six years. Six years. Okay. So you were at this point, you were 21, 27 when you promoted to lieutenant. Um, so no, I was actually around uh, 29, 29, just turning 29. 29. Okay. I was off on the math. Math was never my strong suit. I promise you. So 29, when you became a Lieutenant, but you also had that opportunity to work as a driver. Mm -hmm. So you had the backseat experience, the driver experience where I'm sure you rode up as well. Uh, only rode up for a little bit. So okay. you know, I did, um, just due to certain circumstances and where I was at in, in my career, I only rode up a few times before mm -hmm. I took the Lieutenant's test, but you know, I got to drive and ride out of class for a couple of years before I made driver and then, mm -hmm. um, you know, made driver and it was driver for a little while. And so, you know, it was kind of, um, you know, I thought I could do a really good job, but you know, like we talked about earlier, when you get up there, the view is a lot different. It than is what you think it's going to be like. That's exactly what I was going to lead into because the moment you got pinned, everything changed, everything changes, everything changes. Yeah. And people often don't realize that it's not the bugle that defines you. The bugle is the symbol of the position you're in. Your character is what defines you in that role. And so here's what people think automatically. We talked about this pretty, pretty in depth, actually, about the fact that people forget about humility. They forget about the fact that they're going to be wrong at times, that they're going to make mistakes and it's okay to do so. They don't have to be the, the commanding officer in all moments of the fire service. In fact, the expectations should be very minimal of their crew, except to have good attitude and do a good job, not try to stress them out with unrealistic goals and, and desires of yours. And you talked about the importance of the mission, the men, and then me in that conversation we had. And all of that matters at the end of the day. And, and a lot of it comes down to, I think, a lack of training, a lack of mentoring, a lack of maturity, and a failure to accept the fact that leaders fail. Leaders fail all the time. Yeah. The view from up here is terrible when you look down and see that, but it's a reality. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that people miss on is that you're going to make mistakes, and you can't run away from those. You have to own them. And, mm -hmm. you know, if people are going to respect you more if you can own mistakes and then say, hey, look, I'm going to fix them, and then you do. Mm -hmm. That's what build res is builds respects respect not only with your, your crew but with other people that you work around and work with. And you know, people know you're going to make mistakes, and they see you. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I, I tell people is that, you know, the people we're working with, the, the fire department as a whole, are very intelligent people. So mm -hmm. they know when you've made a mistake. They usually know the answer to the question before they ask you. So if you're trying to hide it or you don't or you lie to them, they're going to know. And that's what decreases respect instead of saying, hey, look, this is where I made a mistake. This is what I did wrong and I'm going to fix it. And, then, and yep. then you do that. And, you know, early on as a lieutenant, I, I made a lot of mistakes, I think, mostly with how I interact with people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't have the, the most outgoing bubbly, um, personality. I'm a little more reserved and I'm pretty intense, especially mm -hmm. when I'm at work. So learning how to apply that when you're interacting with people, yeah. you know, that's where you make those mistakes. But I think that, you know, if you realize that and you own that and then you work to fix it, like people will give, they give you a second chance and sure. they understand. And, um, you know, that builds into, you know, 
as you become a senior lieutenant or if you decide to take another step, um, you know, the, the stakes are a little bigger than when you command, you know, half a city or an entire city or county or oh, yeah. a section of a county. And so you, you've made those mistakes and now you, you kind of know how to apply, you know, that position and leadership or just your personality into, you know, interacting with your peers. You know, we talked about the fact that shit leaders survive and get through the ranks all the time, right? And it's just the nature of the beast because I feel like the testing process is not necessarily biased per se. Cause I mean, in a sense, it doesn't test character. It just tests knowledge, skills and abilities, which are important. Don't get me wrong, but there needs to be a character assessment. I think before you start throwing it, even you mentioned where are we lacking in some of the hiring we're doing in the fire service? You know, we're hiring people that sound good and look good on paper, right? They present well, they do well on the written tests and the agility tests, but where's their character? Is their character capable of rising to the occasion? Yeah. And, and, you know, it starts with just getting hired. And, and a lot of times, you know, due to resources or money, it's mm-hmm. difficult to do a thorough vetting process. And so you end up with people that are coming in maybe for the wrong reasons or they've sure. been led down the wrong path. And, you know, some people come in and they, you know, they were pushing, Hey, you need to promote, promote, promote. And, you know, for some people that's okay, but I don't know that that's necessarily the case for everybody. You need to learn, learn, learn. And mm-hmm. then, you know, the promotions can come when they come. And so, you know, vetting people to become leaders and officers is, is kind of the same thing. And, sure. You know, I have a, I have a degree or I've taken this amount of classes and, you know, I happen to do good on the interview, their assessment center, you know, but what have we really tested your ability to, you know, operate in an in intense, stressful environment? How do you interact with people? What sure. are your natural leadership instincts? Um, and I don't know that those things always get vetted out and that's, that's not a knock on any department. I think that's a fire service as a whole struggles with that and, and how we vet, you know, those leaders and are, have you been tested and, and how can we test, um, to see if you're going to stand up to those things? You know, can we test your humility to admit your mistakes? Um, you know, what kind of leadership philosophy Mm -hmm. are you going to have? And you may not even know you have a philosophy, but naturally you have those inherent traits and you're going to apply it appropriately. And so that's, that's a tough thing to be able to test. And you do see a lot of people that get through to leadership levels um, that probably aren't prepared or, or frankly don't need to be there. No, and it's a universal thing. And you, you brought up a very valid uh, point there with regards to the push, push, push to leadership. And, and the reason I say that, conversations with peers, okay, that are captains or lieutenants or district chiefs and so on. And and these are things we reflect on in Florida specifically. I mean, we're a right-to-work state, but we do have labor unions. We do have a contract that dictates the course of promotion. So there is a pathway. The moment you walk in the department, you know it's going to be within four or five years. In most cases, you're going to promote up, whether it's to driver first or it's to lieutenant or captain. And so think about the age group coming into the average, to the fire department nowadays. Okay. We're talking on average 19, 20 years old, sometimes 18. And then we get the late bloomers that might have gone into the military. We get those who might be changing course mid twenties to early thirties to something new. And on the rare occasion, like in my class in Lake County, we had the guy that was 39 years old and, you know, basically retired, 41 years old rather and retired from Disney with a little bit of a pension and decided he wanted to try the fire service. But here's the thing. If we're pushing people into these promotions, what are we doing to prepare them for that? If we're not going to give them a path, if we're not going to set them up for success, are we failing them 
on our end, because we talked about the importance of leaders accepting when their men fail, they have to take accountability for it. So where are we failing them? Is it the contractual language? Are we not following through on the promise? Or are we putting people in positions where they feel obligated to jump into leadership without having any pedigree to do so? Yeah, I think it, it is, is society itself struggles with self-accountability. And so that's one of the things that I don't know that we push down on our new hires is, is to be accountable to yourself and, you know, to the, to the person next to you, to your department. And so I, I don't think contractually, I think that, you know, the unions are extremely important, um, you know, for, for, to protect us and, and mm-hmm. for growth. So, mm-hmm. you know, contractually, those, those are just things you just have to know that they're there and, and yeah. work through them. I think where, where we fail is it's good to motivate people and, you know, give them a goal to work towards but we want to push them there for the wrong reason mm-hmm. is that you have to get promoted because you need to be in charge. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's where we miss out. Like you, you want to work towards getting promoted because you've developed the knowledge, skills and abilities to be able to lead the people that are going to come behind you. Sure. Um, not just because you need to be in charge. Um, so I think that's, that's where we fail is not that we're pushing them, but we do push a little fast, but I think we, we push without giving the required building blocks mm-hmm. um, to get there. And you know, you have some, most people are self-motivated and can go find these building blocks on their own sure. or happen to be around, you know, the right, the right culture in the right district, the right station that, that will give them that. But as a whole, I think we push for the wrong reason and that's for the position of power. And mm-hmm. that's, that's not why we should ever want to get promoted is for a position of power because it's really not a position of power. Oh it's, no. It's a, a position of responsibility. You know, and so I think, you know, if we, if we view it like that and we prepare them accordingly, then, you know, depending on the individual, you can get promoted early, per yep. se. Yep. Although, you know, I was someone that got promoted early, but now having lived through that, mm-hmm. um, I really think that there's um, an importance of, of, of applying those knowledge, skills and abilities over time called experience. Absolutely. And, you know, experience as, you know, uh, as an entry level, as a firefighter. And if you stay there for 10 or 15 years, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, mm-hmm. that's up to the individual. But we don't need to villainize people that don't want to get promoted quickly. You know, let people be on their own timeline until they're ready. And if they're never ready, hey, that's okay too. It, well, not everybody's cut out to be an officer. Not everybody's cut out to be a driver. Not everybody's cut out to be a chief. Okay. Some people thrive at DO. Some people drive at being the tailboard. I call them the Jakes sometimes. Some people thrive in administrative roles and that's okay. There are so many facets of the fire service that you can elevate yourself to with effort. You'll find your niche, whether it's in leadership or working in other avenues, whether it's pub ed or training or even into investigations and inspections. There are options everywhere for you in the fire service. You don't always have to focus on being a loo because others say you have to. Sure. And it's shitty when they do that to you. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is, is people think leadership has to be a position of promotion and it doesn't. Mm-mm. You can lead from being the senior you know, firefighter because you do it the right way and you've done it the right way for a long time and you're an expert at your craft. And, you know, some of the people that I respect the most and have learned the most from it's not about they didn't get promoted. They were just really, really good yep. at being firefighters or drivers. You know, my dad retired as a 30 year driver. And, and at that point, like it, when he retired in that group or in that timeline, there were uh, a number of really, really senior drivers that were just amazing, you know, mm-hmm. at knowing a lot of things. And so, you know, the, the, the leadership role doesn't necessarily have to be a promotion. It's just where you are yep. and you're doing it the right way. You know, you can lead people. And I tell our, our minimum standard students, I, I, when I spoke with them today, you know, you can be a leader 
the first day of orientation at your new job, mm-hmm. not with your mouth, but with your example and with your attitude. And that will lead up the other people around you to say, Hey, I want, I want to have the attitude that, you know, that guy has. And, uh, and the example of, you know, you're showing up early, you're doing what you're told and you're not having a bad attitude and poor mm-hmm. me and playing the victim mm-hmm. and all the things that we see out there. Um, but you can be a leader just by your example on day one. You know, it's funny. And I'm going to transition into a book that we talked about uh, during the course of our pre-show, Killing Patton. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, I want to segue into that because you brought up some valid points about getting people there and taking the time to do so and empowering people for the right reasons. And killing Patton was a prime example. Okay. Abrams, not quite a general yet. All right. The battle of the bulge, the stalemate, the top, the conversation, the tactical approach to how to fix things. And you hit on the fact that Patton empowered Abrams to do the work and didn't oversee it like a micromanager. He let him go forth with his plan. And what happened? So, yeah, Abrams is like, hey, I'm, I'm pretty sick of this stalemate at the Battle of the Bulge. I want to go attack the Germans here. And he presented his plan, and Patton's like, you know, make it happen. Yep. And that was the battle that, that broke the back of the Germans and won the Battle of the Bulge. And, you know, um, future General Abrams was, a you know, a revered leader in his unit, you mm-hmm. know, like, like we talked about. And, mm-hmm. and not only was he tactically extremely proficient, you know, he had uncompromising requirements of his men in battle. Mm-hmm. However, when they weren't on the line, you know, he re- he wasn't as uncompromising and he allowed some relaxation in other areas of not being a rule book leader. And so when it came time to go to battle, um, you know, they, they wanted to fight for him. Yeah. You know, and then going to, to General Patton and, and he had the um, confidence in his subordinate leaders to allow them to go and do their job. And, you know, he's the man on the ground with the information and said, hey, I see this opportunity. and I want to take it. And Patton said, do it. Yep. Know, and that's. You know, all through there, those are all leadership lessons that we all can take away of. You know, these were some of the greatest leaders in the history of the world. Save um, the world. Yeah, absolutely. And if, you know, as if you enjoy military history, um, you know, World War II is a fascinating mm-hmm. war. Mm-hmm. But if you've never really studied the Battle of the Bulge, like we didn't just go in there and win that. It was a pretty precarious situation for a long time. And it was the outcome was unsure. Mm-hmm. Um you know, maybe not completely because of the people that we had on our side, but there for, for, for a time, it was a, it was a stalemate until, you know, until really that part of the battle happened and that kind of, and that won the war. And the application of some of those concepts into the fire service as a district chief, as a lieutenant to your subordinates, to your senior firefighters, all of that is relevant in a sense. It's not necessarily you have to go into battle per se, but when you empower your people, and remember, like you said, senior guys are some of the most important people in the mm-hmm. fire service. Okay. When it comes to the line, the senior guys matter. Lieutenants are also very important because they outnumber every other officer in the department mm-hmm. when you consider their role and the value of being that lowest level of human resource management. You know, you are at that point where you're learning now how to become a manager of lives. Okay. And again, the mission, my men, then me in a sense. And mm-hmm. you've got to identify that. Killing Patton is a prime example and lessons taken out of that where Patton said, do it, make it happen. You talked about expectations. He was uncompromising on the battlefield. And that's what you would expect out of a leader, right? But when the moment comes to say, let your hair down, we're in a downtime, be you, be the best you, have a good attitude, and we'll get there. We'll get the mission done when the time comes. But right now, you got to decompress as well. Yeah. And I think it's extremely important, you know, not to be a, a rule book leader, if you will. I mean, obviously, we have rules for a reason, but. You need to have the confidence in yourself and, mm-hmm. and those who serve under you to 
allow them to just behave normally. Yeah. Um, and you know, what are we showing up to work for? Are we showing up for a fashion show? And, you know, I'm always in you know this uniform because th- this looks good to the public. You know, yeah. my experience is that the public doesn't necessarily care what shirt I have on. Nope. They do want me to look the part, meaning that, you know, I, I show up with confidence and know what I'm doing and mm-hmm. I'm not going to, you know, fall over dead of a heart attack after I get off the truck, but they are more concerned with, you know, how I treat their family member or how good am I in my job? If I show yep. up at three in the morning and some, you know, mother says, Hey, my, my baby's on the second bedroom and the house is on fire. She doesn't care what I look like. She cares oh, no. at how efficient I am at getting get my job and that I'm a winner and that we win in that, yes. you know, situation. And so I, I think those things are important. And, you know, you know, people study um, leadership and military leadership as there's a lot of stuff out there now, obviously, because we've been at war for two decades. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you follow um, Jocko's leadership philosophy of decentralized command, he, yes. he really has coined a term that's so important to push leadership down to its lowest levels. And so, you know, as my role as a district chief, you've got to push that leadership ability down to the lieutenants and they in turn need to push it down to the drivers, yep. the senior firefighters. Yep. And then, you know, that pushes all the way down and that just makes that outfit so much more efficient. You know, one person can't be the ringleader of everything because you just, you don't have the bandwidth to be able to do that. And, you know, people that do aren't as successful. And when you push that down and allow people to um, work freely, I think the result you get is you're a lot more efficient. You're going to find people that are happier. They're going to produce more. You know, they're not just going to sit around and wait for you to tell them to do everything. They're going to act. And, you know, that's one of the things that I try to, to tell the lieutenants that I work with is I want you to be the lieutenant. If there's decisions to be made, make them. Yep. You know, as long as we're following, um, you know, the citizens first, then your crew and then you, you're probably going to be making the right decision. And if something doesn't turn out right, we'll, we'll work through it. We'll fix it with training or, or whatever, but you're probably going to be on the right path. And, you know, if we're doing that, we're taking care of the citizens. I mean, it, it, it doesn't have to be complicated. They pay us to take care of Absolutely. no matter what. And yeah. that's what we're going to do. We're going to go and we're going to take care of them. whatever yep. problem they're having. We're going to go and we're going to fix it, you know, and then we're going to take care of each other. And, you know, if we're doing that and then putting our own needs last, you know, I think we're always going to be on the right track. You know, you, you talk about that and that makes perfect sense. And in a way, it leads to the concept of succession planning as well. Because if you put the onus down the line, okay, so now the firefighter can see what the driver operator does. The driver operator can experience what the lieutenant does. They feel empowered to step up, make decisions at their level. And then, of course, use those resources above them to help guide them if they need that kind of help. It's amazing when you're able to just let a machine flow smoothly. Mm -hmm. And if the cog in the wheel gets stuck or chipped or something happens, you need to replace it, oil it, whatever. You can do that because it's not going to be an end of the world scenario. Things happen every day where not everything goes perfect. You talk about Jocko. One of the things I love about Jocko is not just the fact that the onus on him, when you talk about extreme ownership, right? But how he handles people who want to try to bump and thump their chest in front of you when they think that they're they're threatened by you. Their perception of you is that they think they're better than you, but they know that they're not. So they're going to thump their chest. And you can be just as egotistical back towards them, right? As an officer, you have the ability to thump your chest and look like a jerk in front of your crews for the wrong reasons. 
But instead, why don't you identify with those people and find a way to break the ice and a better way to communicate with people? You don't have to thump your chest in every situation as a leader. In fact, in most cases, you shouldn't be thumping your chest. Your words and your actions can be dictated in 20 different ways, okay, interpreted in different ways as well. I think it's important that you learn how to read people, understand people, and then value people when you become a leader too. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a couple things. Is One, you, you can't apply things motivation or um, your expectations the mm -hmm. same to everyone and there's a couple things you have to do one you have to try to learn what exactly what you said is what makes people tick yeah and you know me you may can come a little bit harder at me and i'm going to respond to that and say hey i don't you know i don't want the boss to think that i'm not doing a good job so i'm gonna sure. pick it up sure other people become reclusive to that and they can fall behind so you may need to not come as hard at them and that's where if you empower them and you do use decentralized command and allow them to exercise themselves, they can grow. And I think the other important piece, and this is probably where I know I fail um, regularly is you have to listen. Oh yeah. And you know, you have to listen to what your people are telling you because they may not always be coming out and giving you all of the information, but you need to listen to learn and not listen to respond. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the majority of us, including me on a daily basis, um, have a problem is you listen to want to respond instead of listening just to listen and to learn. And i that's not even just in the fire service. That's in our daily lives. That's in your marriage. Yeah. You know, and I, I know that, you know, when my wife talks to me, a lot of times I just want to solve the problem. Well, she's a very smart, independent woman. She doesn't need me to solve her problems. She just you know needs what I mean? you to listen. She just needs me to listen. But yep. sometimes, you know, we're, we, we're doers and we want to fix things. And so like, you know, when you're dealing with your people and they're talking to you, you have to listen to what they're saying because you need to apply that to your decision-making process. If you just, I have all the answers and I already know everything and we're just going to do what I say. Sometimes you miss things and yep. then you don't make really, really good decisions. So I think, you know, listening and then, you know, how you apply um, what you need to get done to people is you, it's always different. It can't just be a cookie cutter. And sometimes it's even harder to solicit feedback from your crews as well as a leader, because when you say or do, you don't necessarily want those those ideas to be compromised by someone else's perception because you feel as the leader, it's what you do is finite, right? It's mm -hmm. done. But sometimes I'll do something or say something and I'll reflect on it moments after the call and I'll go to my partners and I'll say, did I really just do that? Did I really just say that? Or did that just happen? And I want to know if I did something inappropriate, because if I feel it's inappropriate, then they're certainly going to be honest with me. Because one thing I'm very clear with with my crews, if I step out of line, you better hold me accountable for it as I'm going to do for you, because it's a two way street when it comes to that. If I get stupid, you need to tell me. So when you can listen, when they do come to you, that's great. But sometimes they won't because they're afraid to. So sometimes you have to be the leader that elicits or solicits that feedback if you feel you might have stepped over the line, but can't 100% grasp that concept. You got to reach out to your people and trust in them to talk to you. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, relationship building and, you know, it's, it can be difficult, especially if you're not a super outgoing, I want to go meet and talk to everybody personality. You still have to figure out how to draw that information out of them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that can be, that's relationship building. But I think when you, when you get empower them to, you know, empower the lieutenants, empower the drivers, empower the firefighters to do what's within their lane to be able to do. And you're not always hovering over them. And then you praise them when they do a good job that builds that relationship so that they feel comfortable you know, talking to you. And when, when someone tells you something and you listen and you take it into advisement and maybe you change a decision or um, it helps you frame a decision and they see that and they're like, Hey, you know, they, they do listen. 
you know, to, to what I have to say. And I think that's where you build it. And, and another thing that um, I think leaders should do, and actually in Gainesville, we're actually doing this on a, on a, a wider level is a few years ago, I started having um, the lieutenants evaluate me anonymously. Amen. And uh, okay. so um, I, I came up with some categories and one of the lieutenants, she did a great job and said, Hey, you picked all stuff that you know you're good at. So that, that, that's pr- a pretty much a failure. We need to fix that. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but the point was good is that, you, and so we changed up some of the categories and then had a third party, you know, get those evaluations to see, you know, what did, um, what did people think I was doing good? What mm-hmm. were, were areas I can uh, improve? And so, Gainesville is actually rolling that out right now and not on an official level that affects your evaluation or, you know, an official thing, but just for some insight um, on how are the district chiefs viewed by their lieutenants um, and in, in a bunch of different categories. And it'll be anonymous so people can feel free to speak freely sure. about what we do good, what we can improve on, what we do bad, you know, and hopefully for us individually, it will allow us to grow. Um, in a way that you can't normally, because even if we have a great relationship and you and I can share a lot of things, you may not feel comfortable coming saying, Hey, look, you're, you're pretty terrible, um, in, you know, how you manage to shift or how you manage training. You're not really good on this part of calls. Sure. So this will allow them and hopefully for us to be able to get in and grow. And then also for our superiors to know, you know, how the people below us are viewing the job we're doing, because sometimes from the top, that you can have clouds over it, right? You oh, can't yeah. see the ground and yeah. up here, the sun's shining, but below the clouds, it could be raining. So hopefully it'll be, it'll do a couple things for our ability to lead and, and to grow as leaders is that, you know, people are viewed these things that we do good. These are things that we do bad as a department. Are we doing these, these things good or bad? And sure. we can grow from them. So it's a leadership gut check. Yeah. In absolutely. a sense. Absolutely. And you know, that says a lot about your character um, pushing forward with an idea like this, getting your leadership to sign off on it and then administer it as an opportunity to evaluate the department as a whole, not just the leaders of the department, but the good and the bad of the department. Sure. Because I think people often perceive fire, fire service or the fire service in general as the greatest job in the world. Okay. That nothing goes wrong in the fire service. The relationship is beautiful. They see the TV persona of the fire service, right? Little in-house affairs, this, that. Okay. We both know that's not the case. Okay. The fire service is a wonderful profession. It's a rewarding profession. It's a giving profession, but it also takes two. And there's also, there's also a sacrifice that you make when you become a public servant, no different than when you become a soldier and serve your life in the military to your country, not just the four years, but the 20 plus years of military service. And with that sacrifice comes a cost. And in some cases, it can cost you relationships. It can cost you your sanity. It can cost you your life in some cases. And I think people often see the beautiful side or the cool side of the fire service. But when you can self-evaluate your own department, I think that says a lot about the people inside of the department who want to make it better for everyone else. Yeah, and not just grow as, as an individual, but, you know, make it better for the people that are going to come behind us. Yeah. You know, here we are. I was just here in 1998 being a student and fast forward to now. And, you know, I'm two thirds way through my career and it happens, you know, overnight. Yep. And so you want to leave it in a better shape than you found it. And so hopefully that the culture that we're building or that you build in your department will be better or at least not going in the wrong direction for, you know, the next generation. And, you know, you bring up a good point is there's definitely a price to be paid for doing this career. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's come a lot more to the forefront now with, with mental health and, 
substance abuse and those things have been so taboo for a long time. And, um, you know, I think we're, we're just starting to try to deal with them. Um, but no matter who you are, this job affects you. Yep. Um, it, it, it could affect you more than other people, depending on what your coping mechanisms are, you know, how much you, um, can admit that, that things, you know, can bother you. Sure. And you have to set up some kind of a, uh, some kind of a way to shed some of that stuff and allow your brain to process, um, the things that, that we go through and you just can't get away with it. No matter how great the culture is, um, you know, where you work and how supportive people are, like you still have to go to the calls and you have to deal with that. And, you know, going into it, we know what we're getting into, but that doesn't stop the trauma, you know, that happens to you. And so you, you really have to have some kind of an outlet. Um, some of us are lucky to have located those earlier, you know, sure. in life and our career. And sure. so it hopefully will lead us in a different direction and the some have not. And that's, that's, we have to continue to work at that to get those who haven't or headed down the wrong way to be, to be, get them, um, whatever they need to be able to shed some of that stress so that you can, um, absorb it and process it in your mind and make it where not that it doesn't affect you or bother you, but that you can continue, um, to live your best life. Yeah. Because we both know things don't just disappear. No. Okay. We live with it forever. The good and the bad. Okay. And and again, I don't like to say that all the bad things in my life have affected me for the detriment, but there are things out there that you don't forget. And it's not that they haunt me per Mm -hmm. se. They don't haunt me, but they're there. And it's like, okay, I remember these moments and I reflect on them. And in some cases they made me a different person or a more reflective person on my own structural beliefs. Um, they've advanced my thought process in other ways about, you know, the human effect or I guess the human uh, nature of things, way people are. And then in some cases it's, it's been a complete turnoff. It's like, well, yeah, I, I won't, I don't want to experience that ever again. Hopefully I never will have to. Um, but when you talk about this profession, one of the things that really resonates with me is the fact that not everybody can be a firefighter. And they don't come in the same shape or size necessarily. We're all different, but there's something that resonates inside of all of us with regards to becoming a firefighter. And to me, I think it's that commitment to serve others selflessly. And I think that's something that sets apart us from those who come into this profession, not realizing what it is until they get there and then not thriving in it overall. Yeah, I think you you have to have a, or at least I do. I had I had a um, a thriving um, want to serve others, and I I think when I when I started fire school, I was kind of you know going around in life and didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to do something that was bigger than me, mm-hmm. right? And whatever that is, and and so I you know I found it in the fire service, but you have to have like a burning desire to want to do things for other people and help their life get better. Yeah, and. uh you know, how you end up doing that. There's a million different ways. You could be a teacher, a nurse, you know, um, other wonderful professions. But, you know, for me, with the physicality and the complexity of some of the things that we do, um, and, you know, you're drawn to the danger of it as well. And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, someone asked me, um, an administrative person, not, not a sworn personnel, but, you know, why do you, why do you guys keep getting in trouble? And we had a, <laughs> you know, a, ra- a rash of people having, having some issues, which, you know, we, we want to try, you know, not to do that. But, sure. Sure. Um, you know, it, I didn't really know how to answer the question to mm-hmm. him because I didn't know that he would ever understand. You know, these are people that, um, thrive on working in a place where death is a reality. Thriving chaos. And, you know, so what's inside them is not inside of everybody. And that's okay. You mm-hmm. know, whether you have it or you don't, that's okay as long as you get into the right place. But 
I can't really describe to you why people want to do certain things. It's just something that is alive inside you. I think it's, you know, the same thing that drives people to the military. Um, and then, you know, to the military to, you know, hire special units, like what, what makes you want to do that? Yeah. And, you know, it's the people around you too, you know, the, the, the shared want to, to do some of those things sure. and live in that environment. And you want to be around other people like that. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to explain to people that don't know yeah. necessarily. So I, and I think that's why you have such problem with relationships and, you know, outside the fire service is that it's almost impossible for someone who hasn't done what we've done to know, you know, what, what it feels like or what those things are. And so you can't always understand us. Yeah. And so, if we can't explain it, you can't understand it, and you can see how those relationships can suffer. There came a point, and there are very few people I talk about my day-to-day with that don't have any affiliation with the fire service. I mean, my wife has been in the fire service. She was a volunteer with me in Palm Beach County. My father likes to know. My mom used to like to know. My cop friends, we share because we share stories. But there came a point in my life, and it was not long ago, it was probably in the last five, ten years, where I realized I hated being asked the question, what's the worst thing you've ever seen? Or what's the hardest thing you've ever had to do? Or what's the scariest moment you've ever had to face? Because if I told them what it was, it would probably make them cry, and it would probably piss them off, or it would probably make them run away. I can share those stories in the classroom with our peers to help them because, in a sense, they understand it, and it prepares them for that next step. If they ever face that experience, they say, okay, look, if Lou Liska did it this way, maybe I can apply this mentality to handling this situation. It's called team building, learning, and growing, and, of course, succession planning. But to the outsider, I, there is nothing more I hate than talking about what I do. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of a recluse out, you know, outside of my small circles with my family and, and some of my friends. And, you know, you have people that want to talk to you about it. And I think part of it comes from, you know, I, I don't know if I can relate to you what some of those things are, yeah, you know? Yeah. And, um, but the other thing is like, I, I, and, and my wife and I have discussed this, you know, in circles, whether it was, you know, Sunday school or some other social circle. And, you know, I don't talk about work mm-hmm. and, um, you know, we talked, well, why not? And I said, well, I don't want people to think like, I'm bragging about what I do or what I do is cooler than other people. Cause it's not like if you're making an honest living and you're happy, then you're doing your thing. Man. No doubt. You know? No doubt. And, um, but you know, I I don't like when people ask me like, what's the worst thing that's oh, ever I happened because you don't want to know what that is. But at the same time, you know, also try to understand where they're coming from is I don't think they come from a place of bad. No, no, no. They just want to inquire about, you know, what are some of the things that you've seen? And I don't think they really understand mm-hmm. how bad some of those things are because, you know, even if you've had some, some trauma that's gone on around you, um, it, it's different for us when we show up and we're trying to deal with it. So I, people don't understand. So I always try to be, um, kind of cognizant of that. And I just give them a, uh, like a G rated version of what, you know, the bad things are. So you give them a little bit of what they want, but you know, at the same time, it, it doesn't, it doesn't trigger me to not like what they ask me because I understand kind of where they're coming from, even though I don't, I don't really like it. Yeah. I, I could see where you're coming from with the, you hate it, but at the same time, you don't blame them per yeah. se, because there is an innate curiosity about what firefighters, law enforcement do, um, soldiers, especially mm-hmm. with the involvement in battles over the past 20 plus years of our lives. I mean, in the Middle East and abroad, of course, um, And so I can see where people are just curious. And if you're looking to get into this profession, you're going to ask the right questions. I'll be glad to share with you what it takes to do this job. Hell, I still don't even know entirely Mm -hmm. at 20 years plus, right? 
but there's also the challenges we face when it comes to growing as a professional. And one of the things that you did, you not only evolved into a battalion or a district chief rather, but you went and became a guinea pig for the the new edition of the Smoke Diver program here in Florida. And, and before we transition into that, let's talk about the history of Smoke Diver in Florida. And Chief Junior James, who was a Gainesville a Gainesville firefighter, a man that helped create the program and started it back in the seventies. Yeah. So in, in the early seventies, there was a need where you know SCBAs were were just coming out, and you know even even in through the mid seventies, you know going back a little bit into Gainesville when my dad worked there. Um, they had six man engine companies. Mm-hmm. And so all of those positions were assigned positions. So you didn't just have a bunch of firefighters that rode in the back. Uh, the nozzleman was a position appointed by the officer and that was the primo position. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, you know, you, you, you had to kind of work for it, but you didn't wear SCBAs. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like they, our grandfathers yeah. or my grandfathers so, didn't. Yeah. So they had them, but they weren't readily used. Yeah. And so just like anything else I had to grow into it. And so that's kind of where the smoke diver program started was, Hey, we need to train folks up to be experts with these air packs. And it kind of evolved, you know, th- through the years. And, you know, when you go back and think about in the seventies and eighties and, and who those men were they're mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're people that you hold in such high esteem that it's almost like they're mythical, you know, the, the OGs, yeah. you know, as they like to be called chief Talbert, um, you know, others that have, have Chief James, yeah. you know, have come along and, and helped not only set the stage for what the program is now, but they, I mean, they, they started it off and grew it. And unfortunately it took a, you know, a 25 year absence or so, or 20 year absence in through the nineties and, and through the two thousands, um, which was unfortunate, but you know, one of the things that we, we wanted for years to get it back going and, uh, when, you know, Chad Belger, who's a lieutenant in, in Gainesville with us and one of our instructors, when he took on the task of starting that again, you know, one of the things we wanted to do is make sure whatever we did with the program, we wanted to honor um, those original folks and men who went through it. And we wanted them to be proud of what we built. Unfortunately, it couldn't be the exact same program. Yeah. Things have just changed so much. Yeah. But we did keep some of the original stuff and some of the original evolutions. And we wanted to honor them and them to be proud of 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 what the program evolved into now. Sure. And it's a huge program. I mean, it brings a draw from all across the state. And I'm not sure, does it bring a draw from out of state as well? So we've had interest from out of state. We have had a few people come and, uh, and, and be part of the program. None of them graduated, but, but they did come and, and be part of the program. And, mm-hmm. you know, in 2013, when, when Chad ran the, the pilot class, which, uh, which you mentioned, which I was a part of, um, there were eight of us. Oh, wow. And, uh, and, you know, this year we're going to run back to back classes and, and currently we have 90 people that are signed up. So yeah. the growth over those seven years, um, has been awesome. And that's a testament to the guys who are going through the program now, going back out and talking about what it means to them. And, you know, we can put all the ads on Facebook and talk about it all we want, but it's those folks that have been, go- been through it that are going back to their departments and, and telling people what it meant to them to be able to, not just get through it, but to prepare for it and how they grew, you know, as people and in the, as firefighters and the confidence that they have, you know, now with, with having gotten there, it, it's just gotten a lot of people that are really interested in it. We're really proud of that fact of that. We've grown it through the mouths of others who, who have heard coming along before, you know, the next generation, you know, and with the influence of chief Talbert coming in and helping out with the classes and some of the great new up and coming leaders, you look at Basil, you look at Nate, 
you look at Scott Chapel, who's been around just like us, mm -hmm. 20 plus years, and, and he did smoke divers in his 40s. Okay. You look at people who came back and said, I want to get this done. You look at Rob. He, you know, now a division chief, if I'm not mistaken, in Marion County. And I remember him when we were in our early 20s coming up in the union stuff, mm -hmm. you know. Rob Graff is a great example of, you know, a leader and someone who aspired. And then you taking on Genesis and saying, you know what? I'm not ready to give up on my growth. This is something I want to do. I want to be a smoke diver and jumping in in class number one and passing. How did that feel? What was it first? The moments leading into it, I'm certain there was a level of hesitation, maybe fear or doubt that came through your mind. And I'm not saying that to be disrespectful, but come on, this is a huge challenge. Smoke Diver is no joke. It is an intense program. Yeah. So when I went through standards, you know, Smoke Diver was still on the schedule to yeah. be taught, but it didn't get taught. So no, it no. Was, it was still written down, but but nobody taught it. And so, you know, I, I knew people that had gone through Smoke Diver. My, my cousin is a, is a fireman for city of Ocala mm -hmm. and uh, he's from Cedar Key. And so he had gone through the program. And so like, I, I knew what it was and, and what it meant um, to those guys. And so it was something that I knew I wanted to do because I got to know. And when people ask me like, well, why'd you want to be a Smoke Diver? I was like, I had to know. Yeah. You know, I had to know, did I have what it takes to be a part of that group, knowing who some of those people are. And, um, you know, so I never thought that that opportunity would come. And then, you know, as we, um, Chief Alexander, who's the fire chief in, in, Ocala, in Ocala, who had my job here, uh, Richie and I, um, I don't want to say we took over his job. We do the best we can to try to fill his shoes as he leads Ocala. Chief Alexander's shoes were big to yeah, fill, no, no doubt. doubt. No doubt. And uh, so he was awesome with uh, with enabling us to do that, and he empowered Chad to make it happen. And, you know, Chad and uh, Ulysses Mejia um, have done a lot to really build that program. And uh, so, you know, Chad took off with it and Chief Talbert was instrumental behind the scenes on getting people to buy into it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Chief Talbert, Chief McDaniel retired from DeLand. Uh, those guys are larger than life and have come out and helped us teach the new program. And they're still, you know, going in um, on burns. I oh, mean, yeah. Just unbelievable. The the example that they set. And so anyway, when we were kind of unsure that it was going to happen, we, we thought it might. We were unsure. Um, and so about maybe six to eight weeks out, we say, Hey, it's a go. Okay. And so I, I don't say there was doubt in, you know, I, I don't know that I say there was doubt in my ability. I, I thought that I could do it, that I would come in and do a good job. But j when you think about the grand scheme of what was going on and Hey, smoke divers coming back and I'm going to get to be a part of it. That was a lot to be able to process. Sure. Um, and then, you know, there's always the nervousness of, I don't want to look bad in front of my peers. You know, I'm yeah. supposed to be this certain kind of person and, um, you know, I really think that I am, but I, I don't want to fail, um, in, in, in front of my, my friends. But if there's not that, um, failure looming out there, you know, are you really successful? True. And, uh, True. so having that, um, not guarantee, you know, this class is not a guaranteed class. You don't show up and get a certificate. You have to earn it every evolution and every day. And so, you know, preparing for that, are you prepared properly? And, you know, you show up and, and you start doing it. And then, and, and it was, uh, you know, it was a super hard, thing to get through. Every evolution was extremely difficult. Um, but you know, once you got through it, the, the feeling of accomplishment was, um, you know, in my fire service career, there's been nothing that's equaled that. I have no doubt. And you talk about, uh, chief Talbert and the few interactions I've had with him 
And what I know of him through reputation, you know, I, I speak highly of him in a lot of my shows. If we talk about Smoke Diver and, you know, my my mentors like Tom Deputy, who went through the program back in the day, uh, Jack Philman and other men, you know, that I grew up around coming up in my early days of the career. I mean, they went through the Junior James program mm-hmm. and there was no joke in that program. Mm-hmm. That was legit. Yeah. And this is a legit program. When you talk to the men and, you know, that come through this program and come out with that chip in their hand. They sacrificed something to be there, but they didn't sacrifice an, they didn't sacrifice in a bad way. They sacrificed something for greater success. And Nate talked about it and he's a DeLand fireman, as we know. And we talk about, we talked about in our podcast, you know, the day he came to Florida to take smoke diver and it was Chief Talbert standing over him. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know, a town like DeLand, their fire department required you to have smoke mm-hmm. diver before you even were considered for employment with that city. Um, there were other departments that did that as well, not as widely known. And so when he saw the DeLand fire shirt, you know, Nate was like, oh, no, no, I'm a target now. But you know what? Nate made it through. He's part of the cadre now, and he's a great part of that cadre, just like Basil and everyone else and Rob and Scott. These are men that people admire, and they're part of the biggest cheering squad out there, as well as you for getting people into this program. I mean, when I saw the program early this year in January, I saw more people than I've I've seen ever before in the Smoke Diver program. You had a lot of young faces out there. And not so young faces too. And it seems like the challenge is out there for any age of good mindset to get into this program. Because let's be honest, it's mentally taxing. That's the whole purpose behind it, is it not? Yeah, it, it is. And, and one of the things I tell people is it, 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 it's 90% mental and 10% physical. And that 10% is really, really hard. Um, but a lot of it is, is your ability to um, get outside of your own head and not talk yourself into not wanting to do things and quitting and the thing that I think I got out of it most is that I know that I'll never quit. Mm-hmm. And because if we just do a class where we teach, you know, VES and we're going to teach you some searching and venting a roof and stretching lines, like, you know, if, if you're worth your salt, you're going to be good at those things. So if we just teach a class where we just do some evolutions, everybody's going to come in and do a great job and high five. But how long can you do those things? Or not, not necessarily for a length of time, but under what amount of stress and fatigue mm-hmm. can you continue to operate at that same level? And that's where your mental toughness has to come in. And so um, what I tell people is about the program is it's not about whether you're successful in completing it. Obviously we want to be successful in whatever endeavor we take on, but it's the journey you take from when you start to wherever you finish. And that's finishing when you chip in your hand, that that's, uh, that's great. But if you come in and fail the PT test and you've put any effort into getting there, you're better than you were before. Amen. And that's really what our goal is, is to make the fire service better by having better people that have come through our program and go out and be the example. And we don't expect them to go out and just say, Hey, I'm a smoke diver. And because at the end of the day, does that really mean you're not getting paid more? Nope. You're not on a special team, but what we hope that we're putting out or we're putting out examples um, that have the, the knowledge, skills and abilities and the inherent traits that we want others to emulate. So being that example, and that means keeping yourself physically, extremely physically fit, working on your skills relentlessly, never resting on your laurels, continuing to push forward, um, you know, being humble, help others. And those are all of the things that we want to come out of our program. And so, you know, we've had people who are disappointed when they go out on day two or day three and, 
you know, one of the things I tell them is, Hey, you're better than you were when you started. Sure. Not, not because you came here and hung out with us and we taught you something that you didn't know, but from the, what the effort that you put in to make yourself better. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's all about. And you're never going to forget those things. And the things that you come here and learn, whether you were here for all six days or not, you're going to have learned something from those evolutions and be around the other students and being around the cadre. And when you go back to your department, you're going to be a better operator than you were before. And pay it forward, by the way. Absolutely. And so that's what we want people to get out of the program. It's not a PT program. It's not for us to come here and you know show you how tough we are. Um, one of the things as a cadre that we try to do is that we try to be um, monotone in how we interact with the students. You know, not screaming at everybody, sure. going nuts. Sure. We want to apply the program, and the program is vetted. You know, we've been doing it for seven years now, and we've tinkered a little bit with it, but we feel like it it gives it's a really good product, and the people that get through it are really um, they feel like they were challenged in what they were looking for. They sure. were looking for that challenge, and they came here and they found it, and they're better for it. And, you know, you mentioned Basil and, and Nate and Matt McGee from Orlando. Yep. Um, oh, I forgot about that, yeah, but good point. Matt, good point. Matt, yes. Matt's an animal. He's a, he's a stud. Yeah. So those are phenomenal human beings and they're humble, but they're really, really good at their job. They go out and, and they do, do a, are a wonderful representative of the fire service, not just their departments. Yeah. And so that's what we're looking for. And, and there's a boatload of other names that, that we could throw out there that are, that are out there and doing it. But that's what we want to get out of the program is we want to send out people that are leaders, not necessarily leaders in their position or their bugles, but just in how they approach the job. Absolutely. And the, the big takeaway there is the humility with earning the title of smoke diver, a humility. I don't understand myself because I am not one. And yet I see this and hear this and it's reflected because the talk and the walk are equal. Never once have I met a smoke diver who said, you're a shit fireman if you don't take this program. Never once have I talked to a smoke diver that said, if you start day one and fail day three, you're a great fuck up and you're not worth this program. Never once have I heard a firefighter get discouraged for coming back, okay, or against coming back because maybe they didn't meet the standard. In fact, it's quite the opposite. I've talked to a lot of smoke divers over the course of my career in 20 years from the OG and the new G. And the new G. I guess yeah. that's a new term, right? Yeah, there you go. And, and, and the messaging is the same. Like you just said, we want you to come here to succeed and we're not going to force you to fail. That's up to you. But failure is not the end and it doesn't mean you're worse for it. It means you're better for trying. And that means we're going to encourage you to change habits, practices, try something different, be better in a different way, because it doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means you weren't able to get it done this point because failure happens repetitively until you win. And that's the whole point to not quitting. Failure doesn't mean you quit right then. It means you just failed at that moment. Yeah. And, you know, there's nothing to be um, nothing to hang your head about, about not being successful on an evolution. You know, you, you gave it your all. And, and sometimes it takes a little bit of luck to, to be able to get through it. And we've had folks that have, you know, come back twice, three times mm-hmm. you know, to be able to get through it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes you're just, you know, you're not ready or you need to grow in this area or it was luck. You know, maybe you tweaked an injury while you were here before you were training before you got here. And so, you know, it might, it might take a couple of times and that's okay. It's, it's about the journey. And, and, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say that, you know, all smoke divers are these wonderful, humble people. Like, you know, sometimes we may come across not like that or some of us, but I think as a whole, that's what our goal is, is to be humble towards others. You know, some of the greatest fire uh, fighters I've ever known were not smoke divers. So that, mm-hmm. that, that doesn't give you the key to be great. 
Um, but it for you, hopefully it will give you the things that are going to make you better. And if that's your goal is to be great, whatever that is, you're going to be on the right track. And so, you know, that's, that's what we want people to take away from here, whether they were successful or not, is that we gave them a good program. You know, we, we tried to apply it the way it was supposed to be. Um, and it's not an everybody gets a trophy, but that doesn't mean if you don't that, that you're going to be downgraded or talked down to because sure. that, that's not what we're about. Yeah. I had the ability to watch a little bit of it this January and they were doing an evolution. I'm not going to go into description because I don't want to give away things. I, that, that's not my nature. You know, I, it was a, it was, there were two evolutions I experienced. One was like, Oh, okay, cool. I get it now. Why? And the other one was symbolic. Okay. And watching the instructors and there were several of them standing there talking and interacting with the students and, and they weren't yelling and you could tell that these guys were beat down. You could tell that they were hurting and they were tired and anything they could do to just stop was probably already there in their head circulating. But not once did you hear an instructor say, you know, you're fuck up. If you don't finish this, you're, you're stupid. If you can't complete this, it was, are you going to keep moving? Are you going to keep going? You're not going to stop. Don't you stop now. You get on those. You do this. Get up there. Get it done. And it was very reinforcing. And that, to me, I think is where you draw the line in the sand between those who are willing to listen, even when they're not mentally capable of doing it in full aspect. They're, they're broke down to a point where they're just running on the, running on fumes and they hear that inner voice saying, keep going, keep going, keep going versus those who just don't have the mental fortitude at that point to keep going. Sure. And I, and I think it teaches one of the things that, that I took away and that people take away is it gives you more humility. You know, life is going to humble you relentlessly. You know, at every turn, you're going to be humbled. And, and, you know, for me, when you say, hey, was there any doubt? I mean, honestly, there, there wasn't any doubt for me okay. that, that I was going to not quit. Not that I would make it, but that I, I would not quit. Um, but I was humbled repeatedly when I was here. Yeah. And so some of the things where I thought I would excel, I, I did not excel. Like I, I wasn't, you know, number one in the class. And, uh, in, in all these evolutions. And, and I kind of maybe thought that that would be where I was at mm -hmm. and I wasn't. So it humbled me to a point of, you know, Hey, you're not near as good as you thought you were at some of these skills. So you better go back and, and get on it and, uh, and work to get better. So, um, I think that's, that's one of the things that you can't really, um, it's hard to quantify when you're talking to people about it, sure. but once you experience it, you understand what that is. So let's talk about what's coming up now. Okay. We're doing two classes, correct? Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing December, January. No, we're going to do them back to back in January. Okay. Two so weeks in a row. Two weeks in a row. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's right. I did see the 2021 schedule. Yep. And so that's going to be a big ask. It's going to be a big ask and it's tough to put on two classes back to back, but yeah. You know, and last year we did two classes, one in January, one in December. That's what it was. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And yep. uh, so we, we didn't really want to do two offerings in the same year again. Mm -hmm. um, but but the request was out there. And, you know, one of the things that we try to do here, I'm at the fire college and Marion Technical College is who, who we actually um, work for is, is we're student oriented and we want to serve our students. Mm -hmm. There was a need. So, you know, we figured out a way to be able to do it two weeks in a row. So it's going to be a big ask of our instructional cadre staff, but, but they'll rise to the challenge. We'll get it done. And I think it speaks volumes to the cadre and to the program and the mission and the purpose behind it when none of them take a dime to be here. In fact, it is their gift giving back to this program to stand there with their peers as they go through this journey to become a smoke diver and the only thing they're getting out of it in any type of payment is satisfaction seeing them succeed. Yeah, it's a, it's a shared knowledge of something. 
and uh, you can't share that with a lot of people. So you want to come back and be around people that want to know what you know. And, you know, when you see, you know, those folks be successful and they get to the end, like you, you know, even if you've never met each other before, you now have a shared bond that no matter where you go or when you run into each other, that bond is going to exist. And uh-huh. those, you know, even if we're different, a lot of our traits are going to be the same, mm-hmm. you know, because we've walked the same path. And it's similar to meeting someone in the fire service just in general is we don't have to know each other, but. You know, if you find out someone's on the job, you're going to go over and talk to them and you immediately have a connection yep. because, you, you you know, of all those things that, that we've already talked about. But you, you you just have that known, unspoken bond with them. You know, it's funny. I, I was reading, uh, I think it was Jason Redman. Um, and, and in one of his chapters, he talked about the swagger of a seal. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when you're walking through an airport or you're walking in public and you see that person and you see that swagger you know they were a SEAL, right? It's the same with firefighters. I think it's easy to identify each other. We give off that vibe. We give off that persona. The way we talk, the way we interact with people, you know, it's it's not hard to tell who's what when you're interacting sure. in a public setting and you're gravitating towards that personality because you identify them with with them more than anybody else in that room. And it makes that conversation go that much easier and breaks down that barrier in some cases with others. Yeah, you, you automatically have that bond. And, you know, it's funny because I've heard that about um, special ops guys that they can they can pick each other out and. Um, they, they must have some innate trait because we have a, a seal and a couple of rangers that, that work for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you, 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 they're the most humble guys that we have. Like you, the guy that was a seal, other than if you just know it, like he's the most humble, hardworking, mm-hmm. quiet dude we have. And, you know, same thing with, uh, Rutledge, who's one of our, um, one of our cadre, um, you know, former ranger battalion guy. He's super humble, um, very intense, but a super humble guy. Oh, yeah. and you wouldn't know that he had done those, you know, there's great things before he came here. So, um, hopefully that's, you know, the same thing with us is we can identify each other, but also, you know, you can identify that humbleness that exists too. And I think it's important. So now we've got the two classes. We've got December, January. Okay. Or I'm sorry, January, February. I, January, January. January, January. I'm sorry. Back to back, back, back to back. back. See, this is where I lost <laughs> it for two seconds. Yeah. There's my flub for the day. But anyway, we won't have another one. Um, where are we at in the phase of preparing people for? Cause I see the postings on Facebook now. The exercises are going out. The words of encouragement are going out. The statements. So, um, with our Facebook page, an unofficial Facebook page, we, we post, um, workouts and, you know, encouragement, but it's not a workout plan. So yeah, it's not like yeah. if you follow that, that's going to get you prepared. Sure. Um, because that's different for everybody. You know, like you said, you can't tell the type of person that's going to be successful at true, smoke diving. True, We've true. had big giant, you know, guys like my brother, Sean and Chad Winningham from up in Lachie County who are 250 pounds and all jacked up, but you can't make them, you can't hurt them. And then we've had really small guys that you're like, there's no way they can carry that weight all week. And they do it. They fly through. And they do it. So yep. um, everyone's different. So mm-hmm. we've talked about that and there's really no plan that we can put forward that's going to be there for everybody. But what we do is we put out some of the cadre exercises and preparation plans. And that's not a uh, what the cadre did just to get here. That's what they do now after okay. they've gone through. Yeah. So that stuff you see put up there, the, the cadre are doing those things now. And so um, hopefully what that does is that's part of being that example of we're not just preparing to go into class. We're preparing for everyday life. Absolutely. And so those those are smoke diver level exercises, training exercises, yeah. if you will. Um, 
So, you know, if you do those, is it going to make you better? 100%. I don't know if that's all you need to do to be able to, to get through. Um, I did a little, some different stuff. Sure. Um, but I think everybody has kind of formulated what worked good for them. Okay. And so that being said, how many spots are filled already? Are we a full house at this point or do we still have time to go? No. So we're, we're a full house and we have a few people on the waiting list. So sometimes through the process, people drop out a little bit. So we'll have some people waiting in the wings, but right now we've been full since the day we opened registration. My God. See, everybody wants to jump in this and challenge. I've got a few friends coming into this program for, I'm not sure which week in January, but they're going to be in one of the weeks and I can't wait to see it. So listen, you've given me over an hour and 15 minutes plus the 45 minutes before that talking about what we care about, how we share our uh, love for the fire service in a lot of different ways and similar ways as well. And the purpose of this conversation was not just to get to know you, but to really showcase some of the greatest things about the Florida Fire Service and the Smoke Diver program that has now been brought back and is seven years from its starting point, Genesis being your class and the ass whooping you took, if Mm -hmm. you remember, is the guinea pig. But as a chief, as one of the leaders of this program, give someone a word of encouragement right now who's thinking about doing this before we close out this show. Yeah, if you're thinking about doing it, just just step off and do it. And no matter where that journey ends up for you, you're going to be better than you were when you started. So just don't be afraid to start. Outstanding. Chief, Don, it's been an honor to have you on the show, finally to get Florida in here to start talking about this program. I can't wait for Brian Lloyd and for Chad Miller to reach out to you from Oklahoma because they are fascinated with this program and they want to come see what you guys do and learn from some of the OGs as well, you know, because they just started their program and they're very enamored by what Florida does. I think a lot of people are because Florida sets a lot of standards across the country when you think about it. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. We're looking forward to talking to them and appreciate you having me on. Absolutely, brother. We'll do this again. I look forward to doing this closer to Smoke Diver and even after Smoke Diver so we can continue this dialogue and see where we're at as a a team, as a mission, and as a fire service. So that being said, guys, I want to thank you again for jumping on board with us. It's been a phenomenal journey. We're at episode 20 and i forget to mention that you are episode 20 lucky number 20 i'm just excited to have that going for me now so as always keep your head on a swivel you are your brother's your sister's keeper remember the greatest evil between decision the wrong decision and the indecision is that of indecision don't be afraid to step up don't be afraid to stand out and don't be afraid to admit when you're wrong we'll catch you guys soon and as always keep your head on that swivel and god bless minutes of online training with the can man radio show did you remember to train your probie today the can man knows he knows everything when that 2 a.m lift assist drops the can man will be thinking of you in his dreams thanks for listening to the show guys and if you want to look for more content out there from some great firefighters on some awesome podcasts go check out some of my friends starting with my good friend steve green from the five alarm task force and my good buddy Rob Pollock from Flow Invent, the Down to Fight Fire podcast out of British Columbia, Canada, A. Eh? SA Matters with Dr. Richard Gassaway. My good friend Ryan Pennington from West Virginia with Jump Seat Radio and that Jump Seat Radio Nation. Pin the Q, Code 3, Do Work, The Thin Red Line with my brother Captain John Haywick out of Passaic as well. The Fire Rescue Show, The Average Jake Firefighter, and of course, John Spira and the Fit to Fight Fire podcast. Go check these brothers out as they put great content out there, and they're going to appreciate your support. See you on the next one.